0: Greetings and welcome to the Games Master Academy. This is Under Consultation, an episode-by-episode podcast guide through the UK's greatest video game challenge TV show, Games Master. I am one of your hosts, Luke Owen, having trouble around my plug hole.
4: Mmm, so she a doctor, mate.
0: (laughs) Meanwhile I'm wondering if I'm completely bananas, or am I Ash versus? This episode aired on the fourteenth of October, nineteen ninety-three. The fugitive is still top of the box office, but we've got a new number one at the top of the charts, and it's former gamesmaster guests take that, featuring Lulu, Relat Mafia. This is the take that song that I always think of, like you know, ignoring current day take that and when i say current day i mean songs that they released a decade ago um this is the song that always springs to mind
4: is the other song that springs to mind the one that was used on the morrisons and supermarket commercials shine wasn't it yeah. let it shine
0: yes That's, that one, song
4: yeah. was stuck in my head and i didn't actually know it was take that until it came up like <laughs> on a spotify or youtube something and i'm like oh motherfuckers i've been singing a take
0: that song <laughs> under my breath that what's the other one is that No Ah, clap one that often springs to mind my mum likes it my mum likes take that most mums
4: like take that they are yeah. they're, they're the knee tremblers for the um for women of a
0: certain <laughs> generation shall we say yeah exactly she once uh, met howard and donald at a restaurant once and she was very very excited that she texted both me and my brother with her excitement
4: To be honest, I'd probably have texted my mum if I'd met them, so I'd have probably switched it (laughs) around going, you won't believe who I met. I met the Take That B team. I'll be honest, there were some days where I'd quite happily be on the Take That B team. (laughs) But this song, while a massive hit for Take That and a bit of a career resurgence for Lulu, was not an original song. It was a cover of a 1979 American dance hit. I did not know that. Yeah, it was originally released by a guy called Dan Hartman back in the end of the 70s and came from his album of the same name. It did pretty well over there. It topped their dance charts for six weeks. It did better over there Mm. in the original release than it did over here because we've got this for two weeks, then it's gone. Yeah, it's gone. And then, if I remember correctly, we're on to a long haul. Seven (laughs) weeks of meatloaf, baby! (laughs) Which, ironically, is how long it will take us to get through the album cut of that song. Hey. But back to Relight My Fire, the Take That Version. This was the second of the band's 12 number one hits, topped the charts, as we said, for just two weeks, and was the first number one single for Lulu. Very first number one single. Yeah, because I thought she would have hit number one earlier, because when I think of Lulu, I think of Shout, which was mm-hmm. also a cover. Yeah. But she does hold a record for the longest time between an act's chart debut and reaching number one, because Shout came out in 1964. Wow. And 29 years and 148 days later. (laughs) Wow. Talk about playing a long game. But it is a song that has stuck around. It appears on the best of compilations. It's been remixed and re-released a couple of times in between. But for me, it is actually more memorable for being a Lulu song than a take that song because they're take that i just think of them as a conglomerate group of people and i couldn't tell you who does what in that song but lulu i remember lulu
0: that's very interesting because i would always think of this as a take that song and it's only when i see it sort of written down or you know as a track listing and stuff that i'm like oh yeah featuring lulu i guess it depends what you're looking for really and apparently Hmm. i was looking for lulu and i was looking for robbie williams and my tax money you bastards We've got no big games released this week, but I thought it was interesting of note, tomorrow in our timeline, that is on October 15th, the NES 101 is launched in North America, also known to fans as the Top Loader, and it doesn't get released in Japan until the 1st of December. Weird that they
4: flipped that around, although... The NES or the Famicom in Japan was always a top loader. It Mm. it actually had more in common with the Super Famicom than what was released in America and Europe as the Nintendo Entertainment System. I actually low-key quite
0: like the NES top loader. Yeah, man. I saw it for the first time through Angry Video Game Nerd. Like, that was my first exposure to the top loader. I was like, well, that's a very cool design. If I was looking for a
4: full size NES or a full size Famiclone, I would definitely look for one based on that top loader because there's just something kind of cool about it. I don't, I don't know. There's a lot of empty space in the NES. Basically, it's much more compact. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, also you get to see like you know the the artwork and stuff that's on the cartridge as opposed to hiding it away inside the NES. I could totally. If I was to, I've got a NES, but if I was to. If I say, for example, I lost that NES or that NES broke, I'd probably look to seek out a top load of NES to replace it. My NES is a bit broken anyway, and it's a bit, um, a lot of taps needed to to get the smegging thing going.
4: My NES works perfectly. And by perfectly, I mean it displays a
0: solid green screen. And that's your lot. (laughs) Uh, well, what's happening in the magazine for this month? Well, actually, I, I believe, is, is this our last venture into this issue for the month? This is our last appearance for issue 10 with its Jurassic Park
4: cover and also <gasps> the first magazine that I have physically had
0: to work from it's so exciting to have the physical copy like you you show it up to the webcam and i get to see the cover and everything and it is genuinely quite thrilling uh, to see that i know like maximum power of podcast every now and again would see. i was like it's it's magazine porn and it's very very lovely but not this sort of magazine porn that i was stealing from my news agents to to sell uh, to other kids in my class
4: you you were a secondary school larry flint truly <laughs> yeah. or paul raymond <laughs> having every single one of these magazines now that we need to finish not just this season but all of games master is great although i do have to now be more careful when recording because when i was reading them off my ipad
0: there was no paper rustling (laughs) you're getting that authentic you are getting that authentic sound to it now listen look you can't buy that kind of content like we're giving that for free
4: well, I mean, no, literally, I did buy this content.
0: <laughs> Although, weirdly, the I bought it.
4: They were selling in batches of 10. They had, essentially, pretty much the first 90 issues of Games Master. And rather than just put them up there as a big old job lot, they decided to break them down into batches of 10, all of which ended within five minutes of each other. Mm. Which meant, I tell you what, I had a period of time on a Saturday morning where you couldn't have got a razor blade between my arse cheeks. I was that tense. Because the (laughs) worst thing that could have happened would have been getting 10 to 19, 20 to 29, and then losing one of the other batches. (laughs) Because then I've just got this conundrum of, do I still go for the rest of them? But thankfully, they were relatively uncontested. And if you are listening to us, and you were one of the other people going for those batches of magazines, sorry, but it was going to a good cause the cause that is in your ears right now. But one of the big features is a comparison of upcoming CD consoles. Now, at this point, we've already actually got two CD-based consoles out there and in the wild. We have the Mega CD and less over here, but still on the import market, the Turbo Duo Mm. from NEC. But we've got the CDI, which we've already heard about via Games Master itself. The greatest graphics you've ever seen in your life. The greatest graphics,
5: Luke. It's got the best graphics you've ever seen in your life.
4: And we've got the Amiga CD32, which we've kind of heard about via Games Master because we've heard about the 32-bit Amiga that's coming out, and the CD32 is essentially that with some bits cut off. Yeah. Mostly the keyboard. This article... In addition to giving us the vital statistics of the price and the release date and how many games it's coming out with, decides to put the newcomers into a fight with the existing platforms. And in retrospect, it doesn't go quite as it should have. So we skip to the first round, and it's CD32 versus the Turbo Duo. Which do you think would win this from 2020 um, looking back? Probably the Turbo Duo. But no, they're going, the Turbo Duo is an ancient machine. It's handicapped from the offset due to its games not looking like CD games. Right. Well, you know what? Do you know what was released this year, Luke? What was released this year? You got the NEC PC Engine Turbo Graphics Mini, which included various PC Engine games and PC Engine CD games, which would also come into the Turbo Duo. Do you know what was not released this year, Luke? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, fair point. No one's looking back at the CD32 and going, I want a mini version of that under my TV. Wait, no. No No more than five people are (laughs) looking back and going, I want a mini CD32. So no, they gave the first round to the CD32. Round two is the CD32 versus the Mega CD.
0: Now you've got a vested interest in this one, being a Mega Drive owner. And I've always always wanted a mega cd i wanted a mega cd at the time i still want a mega cd here in 2020 i have never never owned a mega cd which one do you think won i'm going to assume the mega cd does not come out victorious here
4: it doesn't but again looking back from 2020 (laughs) which one is remembered more fondly
0: and i'm assuming that these two kind of beat out the competition because they're the new kids on the block is that the kind of angle that we're taking here and they're 32 bits luke well yeah of course and they've got you know movie quality graphics some of the
4: comparisons on this one are a bit more fair for example the cd32 whilst 300 quid to the mega cds 279 pounds which is why i never had one doesn't require you to already own a console whereas realistically if you're buying a mega drive and a mega cd from scratch you're not going to see much change out of 400 quid nope But they point out, somewhat unfairly, that no Mega CD games at this point have really impressed. And in fact, the latest one that they reviewed was
0: Dracula. So yeah, I can see why the CD32 won that round. As much as I want a Mega CD, and I wanted one then, and I still want one now, it's not got a great library of games. Uh, You know, really, it's Sonic CD. And as we've seen on this show, Games Master were massively keen on Sonic CD. I think it
4: certainly doesn't have a lot of good exclusive games. If I look back at some of the Mega CD games I played on our stream a couple of months back, they were all ports of either American Mm -hmm. Laser Games or that kind of game, or Snatcher. That's
0: it. It's Snatcher, isn't it?
4: Which, if I remember correctly, was also released for the PC engine. It was, yeah. Yeah, so there you go. But the Mega Drive was the easiest way to play it in English. And my Japanese is yeah. a bit rusty, Luke. Yeah, mine's not particularly great. But you've been there. I'd assume you'd just be fluent by now. <laughs> anyway, we're on to round three. And this is the big one. This is Muhammad Ali versus Ali Muhammad. This is that level of, <laughs> of grandioseness. Because it's the CD32
0: versus the CDI. Which do you think wins? Using the power of hindsight, of the two, I would say the CDI is the most remembered. So I'm going to say that it was the CD32 that wins out?
4: Going by the logic of the last two rounds, you'd be right. However, it kind of ends in a draw, but they say that the crowds are behind the CDI.
3: Are
0: they now?
4: Well, the reason being is Commodore, as they say in this article, have kind of f***ed the marketing. In the past, on a couple of their key products. To put it politely, yeah. And they also claim that the power and potential of the CDI has yet to be recognized by most people. But
0: Dexter Fletcher told me that it features. Got the best graphics you've ever seen in your life. At this point now. So you're also telling me that it's got the greatest graphics I've ever seen in my life, and it's not reached its full potential yet.
4: Ah, but you see, this also calls into question your assertion that Dex isn't a hardcore gamer, because, you know. Maybe he's speaking from a position of great experience. Therefore, he is ahead of the curve, Luke. He knows the true potential of the CDI. Or maybe they gave him a nice check. It could go either way. (laughs) But no, they essentially call it a draw. But in theory, the CD32 is the better machine. It's a 32-bit machine. The CDI is 16-bit. Although the processor on the CD32 is slower, 14 megahertz to 16 megahertz. You'll never need more than 14 megahertz, Luke. That's just crazy. They have the same speed CD drive. They have almost the same amount of color palette. CD32 has 16.8 million. The CDI has 16 million. Now, I don't know about you, but what's 0.8 of a million between friends? It's just not a valid figure. The colors in use, though, the CD32 says 256. The CDI is listed mysteriously as variable. Hmm. However, there are no solid conclusions in this article because they say there's still so many unknowns. Atari will announce the imminent launch of a new console, the Jaguar in the UK. I think we'll be talking about that a little bit later. Yeah. Apparently, it's a 64-bit machine and it's good and everything. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll we'll certainly see, shall we? And also they point out the 3 do will also be arriving soon. Now, on paper, the 3DO is the closest competitor to the CD32, being a 32-bit machine, having a slightly slower processor, 12.5 megahertz, having a slightly lower colour palette, 16 million to 16.8, but... 32,000 colours on screen at any one time. So a much greater amount of simultaneously displayed colours, which when it comes to full motion video and other photorealistic graphics, that's going to be a big boost. That's going to be way better than 256. Yeah, totally. They also cover a few of the games coming out, particularly drawing attention to Voyeur for the CDI. There's a game I hadn't thought about in a long time. Also, The Seventh Guest, which is a game I still own. That was a oh, really? cracker of a horror game. And they also include some quotes from the industry. And these are mainly focused around the CD32. Virgin have said they're very impressed. It's a capable machine, and we've already got one product under consideration for it. And as for the CDI, they're the ones bringing the seventh guest to the machine, so they reckon we'll love that. So they're playing the field a bit, but they're certainly not, you know, dismissing the fact that CD32 could take this. Cygnosis are big behind the machine, they think it's a very good machine and we've got our new baby Microcosm lined up for it, so they've got something to sell. Team17, however, are not massive fans of CD-based systems, as they say that with all the systems out there, There isn't one decent game among them that shows off what CD can really do. The CD32 is basically an A1200 with a CD drive slammed on and the keyboard ripped off. But the A1200 is very good, so we assume the CD32 will be the same. We're developing Alien Breed 2 and Body Blows for the CD32, although they won't appear until the first quarter of 1994.
0: We haven't looked at CDI and, as for anything else, forget it. And this comes up so, so often in Games Master. We've seen on this show. Uh, We get to see it in next week's feature as well. And we've seen it in the magazines. It always comes back to this quote or this sort of like theory about it is that, yeah, everything you're putting on paper is grand and all, but your games are (gasps) shit. And looking back at this period of... CD-based gaming. I think that's why it, it's really not until the PlayStation that sort of CD gaming starts to sort of take form. Because a lot of people, I suppose you could argue the Saturn as well, because they rushed it out. They look at all of this and they just go, "Yeah, but the games are not. like no one wants to play these FMV games."
4: I think Seventh Guest and Phantasmagoria they were they were good. They had puzzles to them, and a game that we'll see next week, Return to Zork, yes. again. The puzzles make it, and I think it's where they actually use the video to kind of boost a puzzle narrative. Or, or in the case of the Wing Commander series, they build a combat simulator underneath it, so you're actually doing the dogfights and the flying. That works well, but otherwise, they end up falling into that American lasers issue where that's exactly it: all yeah. flash, no substance. EA, unsurprisingly, are big behind the 3DO, and say that if it wasn't for them, it wouldn't have happened so fast. And as for the CDI and CD32, we aren't developing for either system at the moment
0: and there are no long-term plans that we know of. That's such a Trip Hawkins answer as well. From like the electronic art standpoint, it's like none of this would have happened if it hadn't been for us. And lastly, Atari come in with a comment. By our one. <laughs> Pretty much. Although the CD32
4: may be a very good machine on paper, we don't think it will get the support it needs from retailers and software companies to survive. When we launch our Jaguar next year, It will knock the CD32 and the CDI on their respective heads. Our unit will be a 64-bit machine that will have a CD peripheral add-on. This will be a double-speed unit compatible with Photo CD. We will be launching it at about
0: £199. Beat that. I mean, you want to talk about reading back something with all the knowledge of hindsight not having retail support for the cd32 but we're going to have it for the atari jaguar is a huge lol like that is a big epic fail because that's exactly what the jaguar didn't have it didn't have good third-party support and it did not have i mean we can get we'll get into the jaguar a bit later on because it is our feature on the episode but it also didn't have retail support
4: but that wraps it up for issue 10 and coming next episode we've got issue 11 which has some Games Master stickers still attached. Oh, they're so good! And Raw Dex, frenetic frontman, interviewed on page thirty-two. Oh, our interview with
0: Dexter Fletcher, the Dex Express.
4: Well, not not our interview. Our interview with Dexter Fletcher. Still crossing fingers. I'll be honest. I'd talk to him and just ask questions about Rocket Man for like two hours. <sighs>
5: Our syllabus covers everything from shoot em ups to beat 'em ups to platform games. Only two contestants have dared engage in tonight's rigorous exercise, but only one will have the chance to walk away with the fabulous Games Master golden joystick. Whoa. Let's go straight over to the Games Master find out what he's got in store for us.
0: So it turns out, this isn't just a Games Master Academy that's got some kids hanging around in rafters, it's got a syllabus! And this syllabus includes shoot em up and platform games.
4: Yeah, shoot 'em ups, beat 'em ups, and probably a GNVQ in platform games. You know, it's kind of not your full A levels. No, it's basic stuff, isn't it? it? It is, yeah. But I tell you what, Dex enters this episode like a badass. Did you see him slide down the stairs, hooking his legs oh, yeah. over the railings and just
0: skidooning down? He would not be allowed to do that today at all. Zero fear on this man. And interestingly, as a bit of a departure, in a little way, from what we've seen from the previous five episodes of Games Master, Series 3 that is, we've only got two challenges for this episode. We're going to have two at the start here, leading to one person going in at the end, which means we could have our first episode here where no one walks away with a Games Master golden joystick. You're right, we could, but we don't. No, well, uh, yeah, I was queuing that up, but you know, it's <laughs> a bit of a tease in case you know people are interested and people haven't watched the episode well, yet. Well, no, because there's a celebrity challenge. Uh, yeah, I, meant, I meant main time. I meant main sort of competition stuff. Oh, am I, am I messing with your dramatic narrative? Yeah, <laughs> also it's next week's episode that completely goes off the rails. But anyway, it's time for our first challenge. What are we playing, Games Master?
2: My first test of games playing still tonight is on Micro Machines for the Sega Mega Drive. The Bathtub is the venue for a two-player powerboat race to the death. It's not all easy sailing, as the water is full of obstacles designed to impede your progress. Leave your opponent trailing in your wake enough times, and victory is yours. The tide's in, so... Let's
0: weigh anchor and get sailing. Oh, now we're talking, mate. Micro Machines on the Mega Drive. Yes, please, mate. And it's the bathtub track. This is brilliant. Next to the breakfast table. This is my favorite track. And
4: this is a game that both made Codemasters on consoles, but also almost did them in because whether it's the NES version or the Mega Drive version, they had legal troubles because guess what? They did not want to license their cartridges, which is kind of funny given that the game itself is a licensed product, being based on Galoob's Micro Machines. And boy, howdy, I'd forgotten how much I loved Micro Machines. Not the game, the actual toys until recently. Mm -hmm. And I think it's Bitmap Books have put out a big, chunky hardback of some of the greatest Micro Machines. And I've got enough retro crap right now. I probably shouldn't start picking up Micro Machines off eBay. But that
0: book might scratch an itch. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's actually, it, I'm amazed that it's a brand that hasn't had a revival, really. Like, it had its time in the 90s, but like, I would have thought that collectible <laughs> is just like, you know, it's all the rage these days. You'd have thought that it would have had some sort of revival.
4: I mean, we've had a couple of other games. Like, games have come and gone with micro machines. Oh, yeah. But I'll be honest, as soon as you mentioned a revival, my brain immediately went to the worst case scenario mobile game mm. with loot crates. Or FIFA pack, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Like a Kinder Egg, but without the chocolate and with no actual (laughs) sh**ty choking hazard toy. Yeah. But the original game was all essentially done through reverse engineering because being an unofficial game, they had no access to developer documents. So they started with a finished game and just kind of worked their way backwards. But when it came to the Mega Drive version, they changed some aspects of it. In addition to giving it a graphical overhaul, they also changed the steering. Because it's fair to say the original NES Micro Machines is a bit slippy. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's more accurate to say it's like trying to run on ice, it, It's you skid all over the place. It's very Bambi on ice. They tightened it up for the Mega Drive. Uh, they gave it, I think what they called a bit more of an on-rails kind of feel. You could still skid all over the place, as we'll see but it did make it slightly easier to control. Now, some developers did not like this. Some of the developers behind the original felt this kind of broke the original game. It just made me slightly better at the game, so I'm entirely in favour of it. Now, this game, in the timeline, should have been out January 1993. But even though Sega were the cool kids and didn't get quite as bent out of shape about things like game genies and action replays, Mm -hmm. they still clashed with Codemasters, and therefore this game did not come out on the mega drive until july so it's still taken a couple of months for us to get it here on
0: games master but oh such a joy to see and this is one of the most iconic tracks absolutely it is yeah um i've i mean i've got so many like micro machine stories because me and my brother played the absolute hell out of this game just seeing those words on my notes here micro machines instantly i can hear that theme song and you're listening to that theme song as the bed music to, to this bit of the podcast But not only do I hear that music, I also hear the sound of the cars, just that I can just pick it up out of my mindscape and just and it takes me right back to it.
4: It feels kind of weird to play a game with no real in-game music.
0: No, yeah, it is because that, like that, brr, is all you hear as the actual like, and you know, some bumps along the way. Because the yeah, you're right. It's just the title screen music and you know, character select and stuff.
4: It especially feels odd after our 20 25 minute kind of love fest for rock and f-ing rolling f-ing racing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely, where it's all about the music, baby. A Michael Machines memory that uh, actually I've only really just remembered when I was sort of thinking it back to you know me and my brother playing this is the first time that my brother and i completed the game or should i say should have completed the game because the last track is really hard like you know it's a game of escalation the races get harder and harder the more you get into it but what me and my brother found was that you don't have to cross the finish line in order for it to count or even you know for a lap to count for swag points you can go round it because the trigger point is actually quite far, sort of, you know, from the between the two tracks to note that you have either finished the lap or you have finished the race. Mm-hmm. So for bonus swag points, we would often do that—just go around and be like, "Whoa, look at how cool we are!" The final race of Micro Machines is absolutely nails, and it took me and my brother so so long to finally get to this point. And on one fateful evening, we were doing really well. And we were getting around the track. We were winning. Like we had quite a lead. It's the best that my brother has ever done at this game. I can picture him doing it now. And we got there and we were like, and there's the finish line. Let's go get our bonus swag points as we finish outside of the coloring lines. Only we went too far and he missed the trigger points. So he just went round the finish line back onto the track and it did not register that he'd finished. And so he had to go round the track again And we came last because everyone else finished the race. That is the closest we ever came to finishing micro-machines and I've never finished it since. Now there's an important lesson here, Luke, isn't there? There is. Absolutely there is. What is it? It's not all about the swag points, I guess. Just (laughs) finish the (laughs) f***ing race and get the win.
4: Yeah, no, sorry. That wasn't a rhetorical question. I was literally wondering what lesson
0: you learned out of it. (laughs) I mean, I can tell you this: we didn't do those swag finishes very often. After that, we did learn a lesson. Once bitten, twice shy. Exactly.
5: Please welcome our two contestants racing for pole position in tonight's final: Steve Bennett from Devon and Adam Walden from Birmingham. All right. Okay. Okay. Let's find out what to say. So, Steve, you've been practicing on micro machines, yeah? How's it been going? It's
1: okay, fairly even, except I'm trouble around the plugger.
6: Oh
5: right. Okay then. So, do you think you're going to win, then, Adam?
6: Of course I am.
5: Of course you are. That's the kind of attitude we want. Good man. Don't get too excited. We've got Steve and Adam playing
0: this game. Dex even does the accent for Adam because he is from Birmingham. (laughs) He's coming down. And there's a bit of a difference between these two lads here, Ash.
4: There is. My note says that Steve is two Adams
0: in height. Well, yeah, that's because Adam is in his late teens, possibly even his early 20s. And Adam is five. He's definitely
4: five or a very short like eight or nine yeah he's younger this is david versus goliath this is ray mysterio versus the giant this is this is prince versus michael jordan on a basketball court yeah it prints in heels or without? no no in in his in his tennis shoes which he oh, buys which shoes. he buys from the kids section as we learned via <laughs> kevin smith yeah. But Steve is quick to acknowledge that he's been practicing. He's doing pretty well, but he has struggled a bit around the plug hole. Something
0: that we will definitely encounter. Yeah, because I would say they've picked the perfect track for this two player option. We talked about this when I think it was was it in the Micro Machines review. We've had Micro Machines reviewed on this show or it's come up in, in something where we talked about how I'm not a fan of the two player mode on Micro Machines. I actually much prefer the single player mode and just playing it with a friend and swapping the pad back and forth between two very good players a two-player mode can last for hours because you just switch points back and forth we've got a point system at the side and you have to get a certain number of points but if you lose a point then the other person gains and it's like it's it's the first to 10 but if you lose you know you you get the if you get it if you played the game Mm. and it can just go back and forth but they've picked the perfect track here because the bathtub has no edges There's no way for you to fall down or fall off. You just bounce off the bubbles back into each other. So it creates more of sort of a calamity style thing. But you've also then got the really fun hazard of the spinning plug hole that can suck you down. But before we get to the sucking, Mm -hmm. diamondism, Someone's got to do him.
5: With me in the commentary box this week, I've got Tim Boone of NMS Magazine. Hi, Dex. How are you doing? All right. Not bad, not bad. So, Micro Machines. We've got the bathtub level. Um, do you want us to tell us a bit how to score works? Sure. It's very simple actually. Over on the left, you've got a, like a big bar that's made up of eight blobs. Four of them are red, four of them are blue. And now um, you either ride in the red or the blue boat. The idea is to steal those points from your opponent by literally racing him off the screen, leave him in your wake, so to speak, and rack up the point. If you get the whole lot your colour, you've won. Simple as that. Great stuff. Yeah,
0: we haven't seen Tim since episode one. It's nice to have him back. He explains how the Scoring system works way better than i did when i was completely bolting it up about five minutes ago but it took me a little while to get past this bit of the show ash and the reason why is for about three frames of the shot of dexter walking in to meet tim you see a screen that's got the pause menu essentially as them setting the game up and you get to see which characters they've picked and one of them player one uh, who is in red has selected spider and then i was trying to work out who Player 2 was. I was being deckered in all of this. I was like, enhance, enhance. And I could not find, for love nor money, who it is. At best, I think it's Bonnie, but it could be Jethro. In the game of the original Micro
4: Machines, and keeping in mind that I've mainly played Micro Machines 2 or later, how much of a difference does
0: the character choice make? Sort of. Each player does have a rating system. I think Spider is fab? Is he fab or is he slick? Bonnie, I think, is fab. But basically, like, they're, like they are the best. You don't want to be like Walter or Dwayne because they're rubbish. There are sort of like a rating system for each racer. The the ones at the front are obviously the, the better and then the ones at the back are terrible. Playing If you're playing a game of Micro Machine single player, you'd actually want to select the best players first, try and eliminate them from the game early so you're then left with your Walters and your Dwaynes. But Adam is playing as Spider, who is the best racer in the game. Not that it particularly helps him in this challenge.
4: No, because on paper at least, the lads are ready and it all starts to go downhill for Adam fairly quickly because Steve gets the first point when Adam just goes straight off into the bubbles. He does do better with his comeback. like The second point is not easily won and there's a point where you think Adam might have it and he even rams Steve off the course, which is the sort of dirty tactic that you really need to apply in this situation.
0: However... Steve gets his second point when Adam gets stuck on a rubber duck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's hitting the hazards. And then we reach the plug hole. The plug hole that Steve said was a bit of a, a problem area for him when uh, playing this game. And it becomes a problem player for not just him, but for Adam as well. Because they go down, they come back out, they go down, they come back out. Steve scores a point, they go down, they come back out, they go down, they come back out. Eventually they get past the plug hole. Adam gets stuck on a duck. Steve wins. Absolute whitewash.
4: I mean, Steve is essentially congratulated for beating a child at this game.
0: Yeah, so I think Adam's mistake, I've got a bit of a theory as to why Adam failed at this challenge. And you mentioned about how like he was ramming him into the bubbles as a good, like, dirty tactic. I my theory is that was an accident. Because Adam's problem is he has not mastered the control system of micro machines, which is if you are coming towards an area that turns left, well, instinctively you would press left to go there, but it's about which way your micro machine is facing as you to point which direction to go around, not you, the player, seeing a left and or a right. And there are times when there is a right coming up and he presses left and then just ends up in the bubbles
4: when they're in plug hole purgatory there is one of the points which is essentially adam just turns around and goes in the other direction
0: yeah it's clearly a game that i think steve has had much more practice on than adam has i would probably wager this was adam's first time not first time playing it but certainly this day was probably the first time he'd ever picked this
5: up good one now steve you walked away with it there by a look of it well done congratulations was it tough yeah it was tough well, it didn't look like it, because you didn't win one single point, did you? Right.
4: But not that they're taking him easy on it for that, because Dex picks on him going, you didn't get a single point, which means we're going over to the gamesmaster to discover your fate.
2: And good God, the gamesmaster has got bloodlust. I will not have any truck with incompetence. At my academy, the best are rewarded and the feeble are punished. Off to the furnaces. Holy s***, sh-
0: that escalated quickly. Yeah, feeble are punished. It's off to the furnace. Then the caretaker comes up. The caretaker's even making like grumbling noises as he's like tears, as he takes this poor child away to throw into the furnace.
4: It does get very weird because, one, the caretaker hulks out, kind of doing the thing at the kid. But before that, when Dex is banishing him to the pit, he is repeatedly poking the kid in the nose.
0: (laughs) It gets weird, Luke. It gets really weird. Also, shout out to Steve in his post-match interview there where he just lies and says that it was a tough challenge. It wasn't, mate. It was a tough challenge for you to get around that plug hole, but to actually beat Adam, it was not a tough challenge.
4: Honestly, I reckon he wasn't actually being nice. He was just focused on that plug hole. That was all he could think about. (laughs) And even regardless of what happens later, he will be having nightmares about being drawn into that plug hole on national television because it will never escape him and he will never escape it. It's
5: the fight of the century as Robocop meets up with his arch box office rival, the Terminator. With ten levels of pure blasting action and new weapons to pick up along the way, is this the ultimate for shooting freaks?
0: Two previously console-bound heroes together on one cart. And was it worth it? Well, yes it was. The animation is certainly a lot better than the previous games. Terminator, brilliant. Robocop, fab. They mix together reasonably well. It's
4: all action, it's all shooting, it's all climbing up and down ladders and running along and picking things up.
1: There's so much blood and guts and plenty of fast action violence. The graphics are lovely, the sound is fantastic, and action fans are going to love this a lot.
0: Into the review zone, we've got Jeremy Daltrey, games expert, Jazz Rignall from Me Machine Sega, Frank O'Connell from Total, and Dave Perry from Mega Power. And up first, it's Robocop versus the Terminator, a brilliant but nails game that is gory. As
4: first time I'd played the Mega Drive version of this was under emulation in the past like six months or so. I'd played the SNES version and gone, that's okay. Then I played the Mega Drive version and went, Holy sh, there are blood and guts and body parts everywhere. It is nails, but you know what? This is also brilliant, and I am so happy that everyone is on board in this review for how good this game is apart from jazz no
0: he's positive about it he says it comes together reasonably well yeah reasonably well like i think he says like the characters are great and together they're all right yeah
4: terminator brilliant robocop fab and they mix together reasonably well all action all shooting all climbing up and down maybe it was a bit too platformer for him that's what i was
0: thinking it's also in his delivery
4: (laughs) i was listening to his comments and going, this is the most positive I've heard him sound about a game for a good time. This is the equivalent of an A+.
0: Jeremy, on the other hand, uh, makes the very interesting point, a very correct point, you could say as well, that both The Terminator and Robocop have had bad console games. Although I, I do like Terminator on the Mega Drive, which has been reviewed on this show. I do like that game, it, you know, from as quick as it is. But here, they're actually much better together. They are better than the sum of their parts, which I, I really like. And then Frank puts over the, the blood and guts of the game, which you really It literally is at times. like The way that your enemies explode, it's proper Paul Verhoeven, Robocop-style explosions of people.
4: This is definitely the Terminator visits the Robocop universe. I mean, it is based on the four-issue miniseries from like 92. And I think that is part of the reason why this game is so good. It's not a case of, hi, I'm Ocean Software, and I've just got the license to make a Robocop 2 game. I have three months to produce this game and get it to shelf. This game had a proper development lifecycle They weren't tied to only having a trailer or a couple of clips or some stills and a plot summary to put it together. They had a comic book, they had a plot, they had everything they needed in front of them and they had all the reference material from two Robocop films and two Terminator films. They were laughing and the proof is in the pudding. This game is great. It was great then. It's still great now. The SNES version is
0: slightly less great. Shout out to you as well for only saying there are two Robocop movies at this point. Because there are only two Robocop movies at this point, and that's pilot for the TV show. Nah, no, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> two, two movies, two Robocop movies, that's all there's ever been. That's all there has ever been, and a pilot for a TV show, um, which is not that great either. I, I own a copy of Robocop vs Terminator, it's on my desk at the moment as part of my stand. Uh, Pride of Place, it is the copy that I've had for the past 20 plus years i absolutely adore this game and talking about how it was beloved then and you can tell that it's still beloved now when they announced robocop for mortal kombat 11 i think is the one that robocop is in a lot of his moves are references to robocop versus terminator he pulls in weapons and does things that are from that game. So the people who are making Mortal Kombat are also fans of the franchise.
4: For all the problematic development of Mortal Kombat Eleven and that's
0: mm-hmm. that's someone else's podcast to go into that yeah because, because we tried to talk about it and then we cut it out of the uh, episode one if you thought episode one was long there is an extended version of that where for about 25 minutes we talked about the very problematic development of Mortal combat 11 and
4: also to do with trauma being exposed to horrific images and stuff like that Oof, and it was rough yeah way, i actually think it was a really interesting segment and assuming this segment stays in you will at least know it exists but i'm not sure i'd want to put it out there as part of under consultation we got a little bit too mm. heavy on it it's yeah. one of those things. But when they do movie characters in those games, be it Mortal Kombat or even the DC Universe games, uh the Injustice, they will throw in lots of little references to clearly what they grew up with. In the case of the Ninja Turtles, you can tell they grew up with the Jim Henson puppets because that is where a lot of the behavior and look is based
0: more so than the original comics and certainly more so than the bay formers but anyway yeah this gets really good comments here 86 percent from games master for robocop versus terminator i'd recommend it don't expect to get very far um don't expect to get to the end maybe because it's really hard i certainly didn't complete it i made nope. i
4: made it a good few levels in i i made yeah. I, I made it a ways in certainly enough that i didn't feel completely crap at the game It falls over the same way a lot of games of this time did, they made up for length by increasing the difficulty.
5: The world's been threatened with eternal darkness and only a brave knight like yourself can undertake the mystic quest to rescue the earth crystals from the Dark King. Strap on your sword and get adventuring.
1: Zelda really introduced Britain to proper RPGs, but that was action oriented This isn't. It's very much a strategy game. There are a lot of facts and figures you're going to have to discover, and it's a lot more complicated.
4: It's just a traditional fare. Guide your merry band around, fight the
0: monsters, solve the puzzles, beat the big baddie. Fine graphics oh. and fine sound don't really make up the fact that it's rather dull in the long run. If you like RPG games, you have got a kick out of this. If you don't, you won't. Up next, this is an interesting one, Final Fantasy Mystic Quest. This is not what I was expecting to see, but the comments here aren't glowing for the game because they're talking about how that this kind of RPG, and we talked about this on a a previous episode, this kind of RPG won't get its recognition in the West until Final Fantasy VII makes people go back and reappraise these games. At this point here, it is just, it cannot break the Western market. Which
4: is amazing when you consider that this game was developed for the western market it was made in japan but it was developed as a beginner's final fantasy for north america and by proxy europe it was made in japan but they went okay we've not really broken in with the previous final fantasy games let's make a spin-off let's make it easier let's dumb it down for those westerners and put it out there and while it wasn't the best received, I mean, it doesn't do badly in this review, but it wasn't, no. it wasn't the best received. It did have a very important legacy because from this game came the Mana series, Secret of yes. Mana. And that series of games did do pretty well in the US. Secret of Mana on the Snares yeah. is a great game. Absolutely yeah. fantastic and definitely got good reviews when that came out suffered on the translation, as many early Square games did, but so it goes. Yeah. However, much like Mario 2, this game would actually be retranslated and then re-released in Japan as, I believe, Final Fantasy USA. We made
0: a game for the thick ones. Do you want to have a go?
4: In addition to giving birth to the Mana series, it was also praised for its music. Again, even back at this time, Square Games... Amazing music. You'll be hearing some of it in the background right now. It's a banging score. And while the story is simple, it is a nice kind of gentle introduction to the world of Final Fantasy. You control a youth. You've got to recover some stolen crystals that kind of balance the state of the world's elements. It's fun enough. It's just not quite there for mainstream. And I would Mm. actually argue that Final Fantasy now has gone too far in the other direction. Could be unpopular. It says a lot when if I want a decent turn based RPG, I look at
0: what Sega is producing with Persona via Atlas and Yakuza 7. This may be a controversial statement for some, I'll be interested to get some feedback on this on our Discord, but I haven't enjoyed a Final Fantasy game since Final Fantasy 9. Last one I played and really enjoyed
4: as kind of a Final Fantasy game was final fantasy X, and that was mainly because i was traveling it was on my vita and i had nothing else to do with my evenings mm-hmm. it's not to say that i think final fantasy 7 remake is a bad game or final fantasy 15 is a bad game they're just not what i consider final fantasy games and certainly not what drew
0: me to the franchise in the first place no, no, I completely agree, because I, I like the turn-based combat. That, I played the demo of Final Fantasy VII, and the one thing I did not like about it was its combat. I'm a simple man. I'm a DD and d player. I do like turn-based stuff. What I found interesting about this review, or this, you know, groups of reviews here, is that it's a great snapshot into what the Western viewpoint of RPGs was at this point, which is, if it's not Zelda, it's probably not going to get a fair shake of the stick. Because that is exactly what they compare it to. It's like, have you played Legend of Zelda? Well, it's like that, but with less action.
4: Yeah, they say Zelda's action-based, which it really is. This is Mm strategy-based, which it really is. I think Jeremy has the fairest comment, which is, if you like RPGs, you'll get a kick out of this. If you don't, you won't. This was not going to be the game that would make people go, oh my God, where has this genre been all my life? But 75%, I think, is still pretty respectable. We talked about yeah, how I'd ratings so. work, and nowadays, if a game's not 90% plus, it's considered a failure. Back in the 16-bit era, 75% was still enough to kind of like make me turn my head and go, hmm, maybe not new, but maybe from the second
0: hand shelf. I'd borrow that from a friend.
4: Or unboxed. It's definitely an unboxed purchase, although having said that, this game without a manual in the pre-internet era, mm. Oh yeah,
5: tough. The dead have awakened in Zombies and it's up to you to race through gardens, supermarkets and haunted castles picking up weapons as you go to save innocent bystanders from a fate worse than
1: death. Well either I'm completely bananas, or Zombies is the best SNES game I've played in years. It's simply superb. It's great fun to watch, it's great fun
2: to play, as you make your way through the various gardens of your neighbours, saving them from the zombies that are creeping
4: their way out of the ground. It's called a lovely 1950s kitsch. It allows you to pick up loads of
0: weapons. The levels get progressively harder, but you're so drawn into the game, it's furiously addictive. Now, you said earlier that Jazz's comments during the review of Robocop versus The Terminator is the most excited he has sounded for a game in quite some time. But it's really Zombies Ate My Neighbours this is excited Jazz Rignall, who calls Zombie Ate My Neighbors, which is a f***ing brilliant game for the record, is the best SNES game in years, which is quite a statement when Rock and Roll Racing was reviewed just a couple of episodes ago.
4: I find myself torn because I love Rock and Roll Racing, but I also love F***ing Zombies Ate My F***ing Neighbors oh, because... God, it's a great game. This game was critically lauded on the SNES, and the mega drive it was full of 50s kitsch as was said in the review it had amazing sound amazing graphics pop culture references out the wazoo if you can think of a horror film made between the 1950s and present day 1993 there could well be a reference in there about the only thing i don't think i've seen anywhere is i don't think there's a phantasm reference which saddens me because i want more phantasm references in my games But for a game that was so critically successful, it didn't sell brilliantly. No, I think it's the title. It's a bit Freddy Star ate my hamster. I mean, over here, it wasn't even called Zombies Ate My Neighbours, really. It was just called Zombies. Also, chainsaw-wielding maniacs were replaced with axe-wielding lumberjacks. It's a really (laughs) weird differentiator to have, but apparently axe is fine, chainsaws, -uh. nuh-uh. Mm-hmm. But it's a single or two player simultaneous co-op game you can choose between Zeke and Julie, as they say in the review you go around neighbourhood shopping malls, haunted castles, there are zombies, vampires, werewolves, spiders, evil dolls, giant ants, all sorts of amazing wonderful genre tropes. And it's a LucasArts game so while it was published by Konami, This has got the feel of LucasArt about it. This sits in the same universe as Day of the Tentacle and Sam and Max. You can feel
0: the influence. It's a combination of two great studios at their height coming together as well. Because Konami are, are killing it at the moment with the games that they're making. And as you say, LucasArts are absolutely nailing it. We are actually just a month away in our timeline from Sam and Max being released. Crazy to think.
4: And also, here in the present day... We're about to get Salmon Max released again for the Switch and I think oh, the yeah. PS4.
0: Yeah, that's what I'm going to have to get. Bloody love Salmon Max.
4: Love the cartoon show. Wish, wish that got a proper yes. decent like collector's edition out there. This game did not stand alone. There was a sequel released next year called Ghoul Patrol. More of the same, still a very good game, but like almost all horror sequels. Law of Diminishing Returns. But also not just restricted to games because stuck in development hell there is a Zombies Ate My Neighbours film. It started development in 2011. God knows where it is now. I find it amazing that that film hasn't been made because now is the perfect time to get that sort of film
0: out there because retro is cool. Absolutely, yeah. My favourite description I've ever heard of Zombies Ate My Neighbours was from a friend of mine at university who said, it's Robotron on a much bigger scale.
4: I wouldn't argue with that. It's got a lot in common with it. Although actually a dual joystick Zombies Ate My Neighbours coin-op. Oh, oh, that yeah. would have been something. Next week we get a coin-op that I really wish I'd had a chance to play. But I would give up that
0: if there was a chance of me getting a Zombies Ate My Neighbours coin-op. Not to give too much of a spoiler for next week, but I know when you can play uh, that next week's coin-op. I mean, I'm assuming not right now,
4: but... No, no, not right now, no. <laughs> when we get out of covid bill hopefully so. Yes. But 90%, very well deserved, and also when you look at it, a really high score
0: for Games Master to get. Yeah, really is. At this point as well, like you, you think back to episode one when we had our Mortal Kombat and Street Fighter 2 turbo reviews, where they were like, these are the games to get. D- neither of those scored 90%. But that's the thing with Games Master as
4: we're discovering. If you give them something original and despite all its pop culture trappings,
0: Zombies Ate My Neighbours is fresh. Yeah absolutely which is why i think that's why jazz gets behind it because we had dave on the show uh not too long ago where he was talking about how at this period of time there are a lot of platformers being released if you've got a movie it's got a platform tie-in and it's not even like at this period of time it's the last three or so years have just been a lot of platforming games being released so if you're jazz rignall it's just like oh god another platforming game And then something like Zombies Ate My Neighbours hits you where it's like, oh, this is fun
5: because it's different from everything else. A fierce battle is being waged in the world of consoles as to who will be credited with the world standard. Tonight, we present an exclusive on the latest pretender to the throne, the Atari Jaguar, launched in America next month.
1: Atari claimed that the Jaguar is much more powerful than the 3DO, twice as fast, in fact, and uh, four times as fast as Super Nintendo and Mega Drive. It's got a full range of graphic effects, uh, millions of colours, CD quality sound, and it's actually the first 64-bit system to hit the market. Atari's joypad for the Jaguar is quite unusual. Besides the normal pause, start, and main function buttons, there's there's a 12-button keypad, which will increase the number of options during gameplay.
5: This all sounds impressive, but in practice, does this mean machine and its software live up to Atari's claims? The Jaguar arrives with five games.
1: Ironically, out of the games I saw running on the Jaguar, the most enjoyable was Tempest, um, an ancient Atari coin op
5: But has the Jaguar got enough ammunition to blow its rivals away and prove it can be the console of the future?
1: For a start, you'll be able to hook it up to the telephone and play games over the phone with your friends. You'll be able to receive information broadcasts from cable TV. Uh, Things like full motion video will be possible with an MPo cartridge, for example, as well.
5: It's competitively priced at £199, but hold on to your purse strings because the Atari Jaguar doesn't land here until next year.
0: Well, here it is. We teased this at the top of the episode, but it's time to talk about the Atari Jaguar, which I own. I own an Atari Jaguar. It is a shit console. I hate its controller. I've only got a handful of games for it. I don't think I'll be getting many more. I might get, I, I do want to get doomed for it though
4: doom being one of the few good games out there because realistically what killed the jaguar more than anything was a lack of good games if the games had been there they could have picked up a lot of the other issues however here we are the tail end of 1993 it's only a month or so away from its american launch although that is kind of a lie it's a month or so away from its limited american launch it didn't launch nationwide it went to test markets which is such an atari thing to do isn't it just? And I think an error. I think that is a strategic error. They were worried. Last they were in the hardware market with a console, they were getting burnt. But the origins of the Jaguar, we need to step back to 1991. So the Sega Genesis is on the market. The TurboGrafx is out there. The SNES not on the market yet. And a rumor circulating is that Atari were coming back with a new 32-bit console called the panther and that was set to go head to head with the super nintendo and that was a news swirling around the ces show however just after the ces show atari went now nah, we're not doing the panther we're not doing it it's too good for you it's too good for you they didn't say that but that's that kind of bullshit it's like why didn't we get windows 9 because it was too good and they said that they were going to focus their attentions on a new 64-bit machine the atari jaguar Now, they'd been working on these machines behind the scenes for a while. And the simple reason why they canned the Panther and moved straight onto the Jaguar is the development for the Jaguar was going better. They were making greater headway there. So rather than dilute efforts, they decided to just focus on one machine. Do you hear that, Sega? Focus (laughs) on one machine. Crazy concept, I know. And while they were working on it, they kept very, very tight-lipped they did start to release a few press releases as we got into 1993 and said that there would definitely be a 64-bit processor at its core but
0: that's a bit of a lie
4: it's not a bit of a lie it's a lot of a lie (laughs) yeah the atari jaguar is not a true 64-bit system it's a siamese 32-bit system they've got two 32-bit processors on the same bit of board and 32 plus 32 is 64. That's still twice the power of the Sega Mega Drive, twice the power of the Super Nintendo, twice the power of the PC Engine Turbo graphics. And at that point in time, during those initial press releases, they said it would go on sale maximum
0: for $150. Even in this piece here, they say it's gonna come out at £199. It did get released at
4: £199 here in the UK, However, they'd originally promised it after the $100 to $150 at $200 and that they couldn't make. They put it up to $250, but they included Cybermorph in with it so you at least got a pack-in game. Where did you learn to fly? Not in Cybermorph, I can tell you that much. Where did you learn to fly? Where Atari stood their ground on the 64-bit issue was that while they were actually multiple 32-bit processors... The data bus for communication between the processors was 64-bit. So 32 plus 32 is 64, 64 64-bit bus, what are you going to do? Realistically, it wouldn't have mattered a goddamn if the system had had the games to support it. And things were briefly looking up. Despite the more restricted launch, sales were good. They'd put some serious money into advertising it. They spent over $3 million on advertising. As a very clever
0: marketing as well, because I think, if I remember correctly, the slogan was do the math, because it was basically saying, hey, the Genesis is 16-bit, the SNES is 16-bit, ours is 64, do the math. And it is hilarious to look back on, because as kids, I can tell you this, I don't know what a hell a bit was. I knew that my Mega Drive had 16 of them, because the thing tells me so so here comes this marketing thing it's just like hey you're 16 we've got 64 and that is like oh wow that's a much bigger number than 16 is have you noticed
4: how whenever someone really hangs their hat on the bits it often comes back to bite them in the arse cd32 jaguar and their entire marketing being 64 bit and sorry cliff the nintendo 64 it's meaningless if the software isn't there that's exactly it and atari claimed they would have software support they said they had 20 third-party developers they had all these peripherals planned some of which we hear about in this promotional piece but retailers particularly in america skeptical so gun-shy atari were damaged goods they'd kind of bust themselves up multiple times their home computer efforts hadn't set the world alight it's not to say they were bad machines they were not bad machines the Atari Falcon is a good machine it just didn't have the support and if it didn't have the support from the software it wouldn't have the support from the retailers and if it didn't have the support from the retailers it wouldn't get
0: into homes it is mad to think that 1982 Atari could do no wrong one year later that it completely goes tits up And that damage there is being felt a decade later for them.
4: And the system was additionally not helped by the fact it was an ask to develop for. First of all, you needed a dev kit which cost anywhere up to $9,000. And you were never just going to have one of those. You'd need multiple dev kits. So you had a high startup cost. You had a difficult to program for language. You had a high startup cost you had a system that was difficult to program for and which had very restricted development tools and as a result a lot of the games were delayed or they were rushed out without proper testing and in the end a lot of the announced developers never actually made a game i mean it's become a running joke on this podcast at this point when we're talking about games in the reviews in the challenges or the consultation zone i'll pop up at the end and go and there was a version developed for the atari jaguar which never came out. And that's not going to go away because that happened a hell of a lot. And it says a lot that in this feature, the best game that they can talk about is not some hot new IP, not some Halo, not some Demon Souls, nothing that's going to really set the games industry alight. It's Jeff Minter's Tempest. or sorry, Tempest 2000. Because if Knight Rider taught us anything, sticking 2000
0: after the name instantly makes it better. I was going to say, you say Knight Rider or the year 1999 taught us anything is putting 2000 onto anything instantly makes it cool but you know what they're not wrong tempest 2000 is probably the best game uh, on the atari jaguar outside of the port of doom which is really really good
4: if i was to buy an atari jaguar and hey i bought some stupid (laughs) so it's not beyond the realm of possibility i would want tempest 2000 i would want doom i would want wolfenstein 3d and I would want Alien versus Predator. And when you look at that, only one of those games is actually original, and that's AVP. The others are ports, mm-hmm. or new iterations in the case of Tempest. I get the feeling we're going to be talking about the downfall of the Jaguar over
0: the coming year, and it's not going to be pretty. I'm looking forward to seeing if it does end up on an episode of Games Master, because it's likely not going to be in Series 3, because it's it's too new to end up in series three. But is it going to be too dead by the time we get to series four? There is a challenge that I know we
4: get on the Jaguar. Oh yeah? It's a very special challenge and it's unique in so many ways. I look forward to getting to it, but that is way at the tail end of season four. Oh wow, so it's quite a ways off yet. But we also see a few peripherals that they say are going to come out. The only one that does is the CD-ROM. There were finished prototypes of the modem, but they were never released, and only one
0: game ever supported it, and that MPEG card never existed. A question from this that I I wanted to pose to you because I'm not this technically minded, so I don't know, but it was one of the things that really jumped out to me. Is this claim that the Jaguar boasts CD quality sound?
4: Is that true? So by saying it has CD quality sound, what it's saying is it has 16-bit stereo sound. And it did have the hardware in there to back that up. However, particularly during the cartridge era, it was restricted by size. It's the same issue as the Nintendo 64. The Nintendo 64 does CD quality sound. It does
0: 16-bit stereo. But you can't fit much CD quality sound uncompressed on a cartridge. That was going to be my question, yeah, because I would have assumed that in order to have real great CD quality, you would have to have that on a CD, No, CD quality
4: just means literally the same quality as you would get on a CD. But to have it in any meaningful quantity at this period in time, you need a CD. Now, switch memory cards, gigabytes and gigabytes of space. But at this point in time, it's possible it has the hardware, how much you're going to get... That's the question.
5: Do you think you and your mates are the world's greatest game players? Then get ready, because in a month's time, Gamesmaster will begin the world's first televised all-formats team video game championship. We're looking for teams of three players. That's you and your mates to compete on TV for the latest state-of-the-art video game prizes. We will be holding auditions to find out just who's good enough to take part in this Mega Mungus challenge. So once you've selected your playing partners, all you have to do is send in your application to this address. Games Master Championship, P.O. Box 91, London E14 9GT. The closing date for all entries is the 25th of October. We'll be repeating In the address at the end of the program.
0: But that's not our only feature we've got on this episode. Coming up soon, it is the team championships. They're looking for teams of three. They're holding auditions very, very soon, and entries close on the 25th of October, which is that's only a couple of weeks away. I was talking to previous guest on this show, Matthew of Botchamania, about uh series three. And I was messaging him saying, like, you know what, I'm actually really enjoying watching the show at the moment. And he just said, I wonder if it'll be the team tournament that will finally break you down on series three. And I was like, yeah, maybe it'll be gobby be teenagers being <laughs> at Aladdin is what's going to break me on this show.
4: I don't know, because I'll be honest. I think if I was just watching games master and maybe even reviewing it like on a blog by myself, yes, but I actually just get to watch it, make notes. And I have notes that say, make sure you mention this to Luke or, make a note because i reckon luke will have something to say about that so i'll be honest the simple fact that i'm discussing this with you and that we have a purpose for watching this that's what's going to keep me going
0: through any possible fatigue we may get during that team championship yeah i think so as well because spoilers i've actually watched a couple of episodes of the team championships and i don't hate it that's not the same as liking it though is it <laughs> no, no it's it's not But I don't hate it, I can tell you that much. But anyway, that's a little bit down our timeline. Before then, we've
2: got a celebrity challenge. What are we playing, Games Master? My next challenge is on WWF Royal Rumble for the Super Nintendo. Our contestants have as much time as it takes to body slam, grapple, or hurl their opponents into submission. Victory only comes when one player is too exhausted to carry on. There don't seem to be any rules, so take your position of the ring for what promises to be a no-holds-barred contest.
0: Oh, Grapple fans, this one's for me, mate. WWF Royal Rumble. I didn't have the SNES version, but I did have the Mega Drive version, and it's really good, mate.
4: I had the SNES version. I think when Matthew was on, we had a bit of an argument about the respective rosters because I'm all Papa Shango on this one. (laughs) But man alive, I played Super WrestleMania. My friend had Super WrestleMania, but I got Royal Rumble and oh, I love this game. This game was so much fun. And it is just a basic step up of what Super WrestleMania was. I've played this game recently. It hasn't held up. It's a thumb shredder. It's a proper thumb shredding game. But nostalgia does do it some favours because I remember playing this
0: as a teen and I just remember really, really loving it. My biggest victory on this is doing a royal rumble because you know that was the big mode that was on the game doing a royal rumble and eliminating every other person i was the only character to eliminate wrestlers and i was so bloody pleased with myself and my thumb was absolutely wrecking afterwards because it's a proper like track and field style Rub your knuckle over the uh, the A button to to really get some speed on it. You need auto fire in this game. You really need auto
5: yes, fire. Yes, you do. Please welcome our celebrity Royal Rumbler's Techno Pop Duo, the Utah Saints. Give it up. Stomp. Okay, what are you two are going to be playing? At a beat 'em up game. Do you have yep. lots of ruts in the studio at all, Jim? you? No, we, we, we've both got Super Nintendo, so we tend oh, to go yeah. on Street Fighter saving something a, like Saving that a fight yeah. for tonight, so... Yeah. Oh, yeah, you're saving it for the big yeah. battle yeah. tonight, yeah. 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 So you've yeah. seen the game, have you chosen any characters? Yeah, you Yeah, I am uh, Mr. Randy Savage. Randy Savage? to be You have to be, reasons we can't go into it. I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually um, Razor Ramon. <laughs> Razor Ramon, sounds like bad legs. Okay, then.
0: Remembering this game from your childhood, we've got Utah Saints as our guests here, and I recognise the name Utah Saints. And outside of the Mortal Kombat song, I'm just blues clues what these lads did. Their version of the Mortal Kombat theme was actually just
4: a remix of the Mortal Kombat theme that was done for the home release of the video game, which was done by a group called the Immortals, who were essentially a band put together for Mortal Kombat, the album from 1994. I will
0: tell you this though, they look cool. Like, they look super duper cool. And as they were walking into the Games Master Academy and chatting with Dexter Fletcher, I did think that is how I wanted to look then. And in a way, it's kind of how I want to look now.
4: There is something both dated and timeless about their style, but remember them or not, they're still going today. I know, I found that out when I Wikipedia them, yeah. The thing that makes me the most about them is they've been going since 1991. And in that time, they've released multiple singles, but only two albums. Huh. They work separately. They work together on stuff. They tour. They do sets. But they're not album people. I guess because a lot of their stuff is kind of remixing DJ. They are an electronic music group, and they were one of the first electronic groups to play live to actually have a live presence out on tour. And they went out and they supported like U2 on tour. Mm. So that's not a small name to go out there and be with. But you can tell their peak 90s because both these guys are zonked on something. <laughs>
0: <laughs> is it their Snezzers that they've got at home? Because they've got SNESs at home, but they're saving their conflict but for today. Yeah, Dex tries to say, oh, do you fight in the studio? And that's when
4: they go, no, nah, no, nah, we, we settle it on Street Fighter, which I love as a concept and is so... 1990s led zeppelin used to settle their by throwing furniture out of a hotel room these two they take it to street fighter they're smarter Mm -hmm. i think (laughs) because they're
0: still around today but whether i remember them or not i was very much endeared to them because i don't think they're wrestling fans but one of them the blonde one i've written in my notes here has picked randy savage or mr randy savage for reasons they can't go into because they find the name randy very very
4: funny precursor to austin powers here it's tim by the way tim is mr oh, thank you. randy savage and jez has chosen the bad guy
0: reza ramon but i just i very much enjoyed them saying i picked randy savage for reasons we cannot go into and they they will run with that throughout the rest of this challenge i just love that they called him mr randy savage no <laughs>
4: macho man or macho king he's mr randy savage although randy savage and razor ramon two of the seven characters that were in common between the mega drive and the snes because there was three months between the mega drive and the snes versions coming out and by the time the mega drive version came out people had been fired people had come back people were removed for drug reasons and so rick flair mr perfect ted DiBiase, yokozuna and tatanka were out and the Sega version had Hulk Hogan, IRS, Jim Duggan, the model Rick Martel, and Papa Shango. And I would deal with all of them just to have Papa Shango in the SNES version.
5: So, stay tuned to see the Utah Saints battling out on WWF2 Royal Rumble. Don't go away! We've run out of PG tips. PG tips. I'll be back. You'll know I drink here.
3: Come on, Jeff. Ooh,
5: that was a bit ropey. That was <laughs> Jeff. PG tips. Come on. Come on. Diamonds, jewels. Golden PG tips. Golden PG tips. Golden PG
2: tips. Wake up to a golden cup of PG. Tender tips make tastier tea. Mm.
6: Oh, and Jeff, that's the last of the PG tips.
2: Mm. I'll be back. Get ready to rampage. Cut they back in a European rampage again. Sponsored by the Stan and Atari, the WWF superstars will be rampaging your living room live from the Sheffield Arena. April the 19th on Sky Movies Plus.
5: The WWF exclusively on Sky TV. And now a word from the sponsors, the Sun newspaper. For extensive coverage of every bout, get a tight hold of the Sun. All the action, all the big stories. It's number one for the WWF. The Sun, the paper that really packs a punch.
3: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place.
0: Now you get a free dinosaur with every pack of 80 PG tips. Free dinosaurs? And the rate to collect.
2: Can Max escape the flame-grilling of the Doom Dragon? Or will he become another takeaway burger? His fate's in your hands! Oh, yeah!
5: time for our Celebrity Challenge where we've got the Utah Saints battling it out on WWF 2 Royal Rumble. With me in the commentary box this week we've got Dave Perry of Power Magazine. Alright All right. Dave, so it's a bit of a beat em up special really in a way this one isn't it?
1: Oh yeah, it's a real fight this one. We've got um, yeah. We've got it on the brawl options, so it's just
5: going to be one round of continuous bashing and crashing. Punching and mashing. That's it. They're just just going to gouge each other. And all you've got to watch is the energy bars. And the first guy to run out of energy is dead, basically. and And the other guy's won. Okay, so let's see how well the boys do. It's one round of battle and action. Coming back from the ad break, we've got Dave Perry in the booth. But the one thing
0: I really wanted to talk about here is that, and this is the second time that Dex has done this, they call the game WWF2 Royal Rumble. Because, in a way, this is a sequel to Super WrestleMania. Yeah, it is a sequel, but it is on the box. It does just say WWF Royal Rumble. And they're doing the brawl option in this game, which basically just means as soon as one person's energy bar goes down, that the match ends. And I would wager that they have done this because it's easier to explain than doing the pins. And also, if these lads are not really used to playing the game, then going over the pin mechanics, just do it like it was a one-on-one fighting game
4: the previous two wrestling challenges we've had, the pin mechanics haven't worked great in them really. So turning it into what is essentially a brawl or last man standing kind of match, it makes sense. They don't have to worry about it ending by count out or DQ or anything like that.
0: All they have to do is hit each other. Mm -hmm. But... So the problem when you have two lads playing a game that they are not used to, and you're not a wrestling fan, what you end up with is running against the ropes a lot, bumping into each other, throwing a couple of punches, doing elbow drops and missing them. Like, they said that they settled this on Street Fighter. I don't know why they didn't just have them play Street Fighter. They had to advertise the fact that Royal Rumble is out, I guess.
4: I mean, also, how many times have we had Street Fighter 2 thus far? You know that they would have caught some flack from someone Going off oh, Street Fighter Two again. Yeah, they could have had a burgeoning SNK game because at least that has some similar kind of button inputs. They could have worked with it. But I wager that they do more damage to themselves in the first part of this game than they do to each other. And Dave Perry's bigging up all the moves that are in this game. They say they've got signature moves, and we see one of them in this entire <laughs> bout because Mr. Randy Savage does throw Jez out of the ring a couple of times. And on the second occurrence, when Jez's health is right down low, he gets on that top turnbuckle, he drops Randy Savage's elbow, and that was great because it didn't require any special button inputs. And clearly he'd got enough of an idea of how the game worked to go, uh, okay, I can climb up and I can do moves off the top rope. All he needs at that point is one punch and Razor Ramon is down. However, he runs into the guardrail and knocks himself down. They both stand up. They both run into
0: the guardrail
4: and Jez loses.
0: Yeah, it is not a big climactic finish. And do you know what this reminded me of? The WWF WrestleMania challenge we had back in Series 1 with Kendo Nagasaki. I'd say that's better. Uh, perhaps, actually, yeah. I mean, At least they were throwing drop kicks and stuff. And also, you had
4: Kendo Nagasaki and his manager... And the kid got a belt at the end, as well as the golden joystick. That was a way better celebrity challenge. These guys, we only find out their names when they're captioned. Dexter doesn't even introduce them by name. And it's only in the post-match, which we get to, where he's like, oh, I suppose I should probably call you Jez, as that's your name. It's almost like they forgot that these people actually have names and identities. If not for the captions, I would have struggled to work out which was which.
0: Yeah, I mean, in my notes, I've just written the wrestlers uh, that are doing the moves because I didn't realise it was Jez until afterwards when Dex actually refers to him as that.
4: I will say this is the most I've heard Dave Perry laugh in a long time because he is in
0: hysterics through a lot of this challenge. Get him again. The
5: <laughs> <laughs> He's the
0: That's what I was going to say. Yeah, Dave is having a whale of a time. Dave loves seeing people be <laughs> at games. Ironic. <laughs>
1: Not a journalist. I'm a marketing manager.
0: Dex describes it as a great fight and a
4: great challenge. Oh, (laughs) mate, you are so full of shit. I get that you got to do it for the celebrities. Just, just know.
5: Oh, Jez, you better know. Didn't go very well for you, did it? It didn't. Had a name disadvantage, though. Is that what you reckon yeah, it was? I reckon there's a name okay, disadvantage. Okay, Randy. Randy had to win, didn't it? Yeah, I suppose he did, really. So, what was, did you use any tactics in particular, or was he just going for it? I was just going for it. It's like yeah. pure aggression. Yeah, it was pure aggression. Pretty so so dirty, yeah. dirty moves going on, wasn't it? Doesn't was, it's, it's also, it doesn't help when you keep running into a uh, yeah, metal post like yeah, that. Yeah, running into crash barriers, yeah, banging your head in metal poles doesn't help your plight.
0: Okay. <laughs> but the thing that made me laugh the most about this, aside from these two lads just finding, the name Randy very very funny is when they go to leave. Jez is looking to Dex because Dex shakes the hand of Tim, you know, after he's got his golden joystick, and Jez is looking to Dex, waiting for his handshake, but it doesn't come. And then eventually, Jez just turns around, realizing he's not going to get a handshake. And it's at that point, Dex throws the hand up to get the handshake. So what you end up with is Dex offering a handshake and Jez walking away from him, just leaving Dex
2: hanging. Welcome along to the consultation zone, where I offer my assistance to the needy. Who's first? King's Master, I'm stuck in the first level of Murray. who lost levels. Can you help me, please? A pitiful plea there, one I'm glad to be able to answer. On World 1, level 2, when you reach a green pipe with a beetle just after it, jump up to reveal an invisible block. Now, you jump onto the wall at the top of the stream, make your way past the normal exit, past a series of pipes, and to a warp that will take you all the way to the second world.
6: Oh, thank you,
0: thank you. Ah, oh, please, don't rubble. Our first tiny child in the Consultation Zone is stuck on the first level of Mario, the Lost Levels, which is really nice to see in the Consultation Zone as part of the All-Stars pack on the Super Nintendo. And Gamesmaster shows him the warp to get you into World 2. We'll actually see this again, technically, next week.
4: I did briefly think next week that we'd double-dipped, because up until a point, this is exactly the same tip.
0: But yeah, uh, Mario The Lost Levels
4: was the Japanese Mario 2 released on the floppy disk system, uh, considered too samey and too difficult for the American market. It is hard. Yeah, it's balls hard even now. Uh, Mario 2 for the American market was a reskin Japanese game, which, like Final Fantasy, Mystic Quest, was then re-released back in Japan as Super Mario USA.
0: Thickies edition.
4: I've got a lot of time for the uh, American Super Mario 2 because I tell you what, for all the reskinning, that game does a lot to set up the artistic direction of the Mario series from that point onwards. And I think it's great.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, I don't know if this is too much of a controversial opinion. I think it's way better than Lost Levels.
4: Lost Levels is fine, but it is just more the same. So while Mario 2 for the American audience got re-released back in Japan as Mario USA, Super Mario Bros. 2, the Famicom Disk Edition, didn't get released in the Western world until the Super Mario All-Stars compilation on the Super Nintendo which was a wonderful, polished up way to play the first three Mario games or slightly later, the first three Mario games and Super Mario World
0: on the same cartridge. Oh, it's a good. That, and that's actually the pack that I've got. I bought my SNES secondhand many, many years ago. And that's the one I've got. It's the Super Nintendo that comes with All Stars Plus World. Oh, it's it's so lovely. And I actually I really like the art style that they did for those Super Nintendo re-releases. And it's not even really just a
4: quick cash-in. This was a project that was suggested by Miyamoto after Mario Kart was completed. And particularly given that NES didn't do great guns over here, it was wonderful to have a package that had all of those games in. So Mario, Mario 2, Mario The Lost Levels, and Mario Brothers 3. I mean, that's a four-pack. That is a lot of hours Mm -hmm. of gameplay. And the fact that it's still getting re-released on the SNES channel for the Switch now... Just shows how good that collection still is. But as you'll see next week as well, we start on level 1 2. When you reach a green pipe with a beetle just after it, you jump up to reveal an invisible block. You then get on top of the wall at the top of the screen and you run. You run past the normal exit, you run past some pipes, and then you get a
0: warp that will take you all the way to the second world. And that's how you know that Lost Levels is much crueler than Super Mario brothers its predecessor, because that sort of trick in super mario brothers original would have given you access to world four but here on lost levels it only takes you to world two
4: but as we will find out next week it's actually kind of a deception it is it's a red herring it is a bit of a red herring
6: hello gaze master can you help me on the night mission of jungle strike please i am totally confused
2: well i can put you on the straight and narrow. At the start of the level, fly straight to the left-hand side of the map where you'll find some huts. Shoot them all until you find the enemy general. Capture him, and he'll tell you the location of all ammo and fuel supplies in the level. This should make things much easier.
5: Thank you. Bye.
2: Bye-bye. Our second kid is stuck on the night mission for Jungle
0: Strike. He's very confused by it. So basically what you want to do is you want to head right over to the left-hand side, blow up the huts, capture the general, and he'll tell you the location for ammo and fuel, which I'm going to presume is what the task is? Is that what the level is? I don't entirely
4: know. I didn't really play Jungle Strike. I played Desert Strike. Desert Strike, that's a banger of a game. I remember really loving that. But Jungle Strike, I guess, was kind of more of the same. This is the Mega Drive version... It also came out on the snares. It also came out for the PC, including a CD version that had kind of full motion video intros, which is kind of cool. And they didn't stop at Jungle Strike. There was more strikes to be had. We had Urban Strike, Soviet Strike and Nuclear Strike. Ooh, yeah, the big guns. Literally. I mean, but that was the last (laughs) one because really, where do you go after nuclear? Although having said that, there was another one called Future Strike but was redeveloped, and that was released as Future Cop LAPD, which got rid of helicopters and
2: replaced it with mechs.
5: I can't find the Medusa Cave on the Mystic Quest for the Game Boy. Please
2: help me. Right. If you've spoken to the boy in the town of Jad, his clue as to its whereabouts is the mysterious phrase palm trees and Eight. Now, go to the oasis at the bottom left of the map, where you'll find a pool and two palm trees. Walk around the trees in a figure of eight, and open Sesame! The Medusa Cave will magically appear.
5: That's perfect. Thanks, Games Master.
2: Well, perfection is what I strive for. Bye for now. I've, uh, I've not played Mystic Quest. I mean, it looks very much like
0: Zelda, but I've not played it.
4: And this game ties back to the game that we had in the review zone earlier because you had Final Fantasy Mystic Quest and then you had this one called Mystic Quest and I forget which way it goes, but one of them was called Final Fantasy Adventure and then moved to Mystic Quest and one was called Mystic Quest and moved the other way. Basically, they had two games with very similar names and they realized that for the Western world, because, you know, we're stupid, they would have to rename Mm -hmm. things. And so they did. This one was more positively received perhaps because it was quite a deep game for the game boy and whereas the earlier series definitely led on to the mana series this game is technically the first in the mana series of games this game is actually where it begins although the series creator has said he doesn't consider mana to be a series of games but more a world which is illustrated and then can be explored through video games so he sees Mana as a living world, and the games that occur there just occur there with it as its world. So it's more kind of like a universe rather than a yeah. specific series.
0: Well, that's enough hints
2: and tips. It's time for our final challenge. What are we playing, Games Master? The final challenge for this evening is on Super Cuba for the SNES. Our bouncy young contestant has one minute to colour in an entire game pyramid. Watch out for bouncing balls getting in your way. And don't fall off the edge of the pyramid, otherwise the challenge is over. So if you're ready, hop to it.
0: If you'd have asked me what games do you think will be in Series 3 of Games Master, I don't think I would have said the Super Nintendo version of Qubit. And it's not even that new, this game came out in 92. This challenge here is the most reminiscent of Series 2 Games Master that I have had from this series so far. I mean, I'm not going to disparage Qbert. It's a great game,
4: but it doesn't scream sexy 16-bit times, does it? No, exactly. But it says a lot that here we are with this game. This game was released 10 years after the original. God knows how many iterations have been between the original and this. And one of the original creators is still involved. Jeff Lee, who did the character design and the graphics for the original game, did graphics for this game. So there is actually lineage and... I find that surprising because you'd have thought that either he'd have moved on or they just wouldn't have bothered. They'd have just mm. said, okay, here's the sprites from the last five
0: games. Just copy those. One last thing to mention on Cubed before we get into the challenge itself is that he was, of course, one of the stars of the 2015 movie classic Pixels.
4: No, I'm sorry. You broke up there. Couldn't, couldn't <laughs> get that. Couldn't get that. God, fuck that movie. Just...
5: That movie. Okay, Steve, Super Cuba. Bit of a puzzle, bit of a laugh. Are you going to give us a puzzle or a laugh tonight? Neither of them, Dexter. No? No. Well, you look a bit puzzled, so let's go and have a laugh, yeah? Yeah. Take your seat. But Dex says to
4: Steve that Cuba is a bit of a puzzle, a bit of a laugh. Are you going to give us a puzzle or a laugh tonight, Steve? And Steve says neither. (laughs) He's got all the enthusiasm for this challenge of Nigel Mansell, and I can't blame him. No, I can't either. Dex comes back with saying he thinks he looks a bit puzzled, so let's go and have a laugh. Good rescue, Dex. Genuinely good rescue because he didn't give you much to work with.
5: Okay, joining me in the commentary box again tonight. I've got our old friend Tim Boone. How are you doing? Not bad, Dex. Now Super but It's um, an old classic, isn't it? is not it? Um is this version very different from the original? Well, in fact, it's been improved in a lot of ways. But essentially, it's very simple. You've got a guide, Bertie. He's the guy with the big
0: nose, right. around the cubes, colouring them different colours. Yeah. And there are some blobby bad guys that are going to try and stop you and change them back again.
5: Okay. If Bert loses, he falls off. Steve's got three lives to com- to convert every single cube. Right. And he's going to require every that's dexterity he's got. Okay. dex. That's what
0: he needs to be. <laughs> Let's hope he is. Yeah. Tim Boone is back in the booth. He says that this is an improvement of the uh, original game, of course. Talks about how he's got three lives and 60 seconds. And this is where I was like, okay, A, we may end up with a challenge here that does not have a golden joystick winner. But B, boy, howdy, does this feel like series one and two of Games Master. You've got three lives, 60 seconds to get this many points. It feels like an old school challenge. Because this is essentially the same game
4: that has been around since 1982, even if he's not played this version, that guy has played Qbert or a Q-Bert knockoff at some point in his life. And Mm -hmm. he fills the entire one side of the pyramid right at the start of the challenge and then just decides to jump off it. It
0: doesn't bode well. I think he was trying to jump onto that little disc thing which would transport you across to the other side. I think that's what he was going for. I mean, if it's what he was going for, much like Pixels, he failed. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he totally jumped off a the cliff there, much like Pixels.
4: Second life, he does really well. He gets four fifths of the entire pyramid covered and then just mistimes a jump and ends up landing on a blob. Cubert dies. We're on to the third life and he only has three cubes left to cover and he only has
0: three cubes left to colour and he does it. And there's 26 seconds left on the clock. Yeah, he had 60 seconds to complete this challenge, and he did it in just over 30 seconds. It was... I mean, I don't know what to say about it. Like, he he just did it. Yeah, it was boring. The stakes
4: were not high enough. Make it a 45-second challenge. That would have been a bit more tense. Give him two lives or one life, although it would have been over quickly but maybe he'd have thought a bit more about his moves first
5: okay okay, okay. well you walked that challenge was it fairly easy yeah easy yeah listen in supercube but whenever i play i always fall off the side how did you manage to stay on i just kept them
6: cool and made sure i didn't fall off
5: yeah well well done
0: i love to be like but how did you manage to stay on and his answer is i didn't jump off apart from that one time where you did
4: yeah but he gets his golden joystick and well, I suppose he looks less bored at this point. Yeah. But this is also where I think Dex is a gamer because he talks about playing Qbert, and in the commentary box right at the beginning of the challenge, he goes, Well, this is an old classic, but this is a new take on it. And the way he says it to me doesn't read like someone reading a script. This is like someone going, I know Qbert.
0: I, I, I get what you mean, but like we've spoken to people who've worked on this show that have said to us categorically, He was not a gamer, this was just a gig for him. I just think he's a very good actor. Even if
4: he's not a gamer, that doesn't mean he didn't play games as a kid. I mean, earlier this episode, you asked me to explain CD quality audio. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you don't understand theoretically what CD quality audio is, correct? Mm-hmm. But you still listen yeah. to CDs. Okay. I, I kind of see what you, you're getting at. Yeah. Essentially, there is no way Dexter Fletcher grew up as a kid and didn't play video games at
0: some point. And the time period he'd been growing up in would have been Qbert on the Atari. Well, when we eventually sit down to interview Dexter Fletcher, we'll ask him then and we'll we'll find out because from what we've been told by people who worked on the show, he didn't have a blues clue about anything that was going on.
5: Well, not that this week's champion Steve Bennett would understand, but I'll leave you with the words of the late great cubist, Pablo Picasso. Okay, Hasta la vista, baby.
0: Well, to round us off, our quote for the day is from Pablo Picasso, Okay, And Dexter tries to get over his brand new catchphrase, which is not his own. Hasta la vista, baby. He quotes Picasso because
4: he's a cubist and cubert had at Cubes and was also developed as the working title of Cubes anyway. So I guess that makes sense. It's not one of the strongest ending lines. Next week's is a banger. Next week's is great. Next, yeah, next week's th- made me proper belly laugh.
0: It's one of the actually only good ones we've had so far.
4: And the way that last line just fell, I think, sums up this episode. Because to me, this is an episode with a great review section. The reviews... Are really good we get some cracking games in there the feature is fascinating because this is a new console it doesn't matter that we know what happens to it but this is a new console the consultation zone is brilliant there's some really great tips in here and we get our first appearance of a previously unknown in the west mario game we get a proper role-playing game tip it's great stuff and then we have the challenges yeah micro machines is incredibly one-sided the utah saints stink in this yes they should have given them street fighter or a more normal one-on-one fighting game because that match is boring to watch and essentially it ends when one of them knocks themselves out it's not even really done via any actual aggression it's they pressed the y button and ran into the barricade and then we're on to Cubut, which, okay, odd choice, very season one, very season two. hmm. But could have been something if the stakes had been higher or the time had been shorter. It feels a lot like a filler
0: episode.
4: Yeah. And I'm not saying we haven't had them on previous seasons, but this is not a good feel for this episode.
0: Yeah, it's an episode that's really let down by its challenges. I was so excited for Micro Machines, but it's not a good Micro Machines race. And the Royal Rumble match is, yeah, as you say, boring. It is just, it's two people falling over each other and falling over themselves for what feels like a long time. And the Cuba challenge is over in 30 seconds. There's no real drama to any of the challenges and yeah i think you're right it does it feels like a filler episode it's the first boring episode we've had of series three so far i think it's the first time where an episode has really been dragged completely
4: down by the challenges and it yeah it pains me to to say it it's just not a good episode and also because some people will be going aha it's not dex's (laughs) fault it's not the commentator's fault either the games aren't great choices The challenge parameters aren't right, or the competitors aren't great competitors. You could probably tweak any one of those three and fix things. Utah Saints, put them on a one-on-one fighting game. Micro Machines, mix up the competitors so we have a bit more of an equal fight. Cuba, shorten the time, lower the lives, do something to increase attention. It feels sloppy. Mm. If they're recording for the most part the episodes in some sort of order... Bar things like the Gladiators Challenge and whatnot. This feels like a leftovers kind of thing. While two of the three games are relatively new, Micro Machines and Royal Rumble, Cuba
0: just the hell? That 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 is a holdover from the previous iteration of this show. Um I I, I can't score this one that highly. As much as I loved the review zone, as much as I loved seeing Robocop versus the Terminator and lost levels in the consultation zone. I'm struggling to even get to the 70% mark because I really did not like the challenges. I'm actually thinking it's going to be as low as 68%. I'll be honest, without the consultation zone, without the reviews and without the feature, this would be sub 50% for me. It's one of the worst episodes we've had so far.
4: But, and it's written in my notes here, I too... I'm at
0: 68%. But that is going to do it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Please do consider giving us a rating and a review if you're listening on Apple Podcast. And you can find us on Twitter at underconsolepod, on Instagram at under.console. And you can send us an email to feedback at underconsultation.com.
4: Or if you like your feedback a bit real time, a bit more interacty, interacty, is that a word? It is now. <laughs> it is now you can join us on our discord where they're chatting about games they're chatting about boss fights we're chatting about the huge shade that was thrown at luke by his other half (coughs) while playing jedi fallen order on the ps4 and yeah it's a great little community to hang out in we've got lovely people we've had a few new joinees this week so find our details on our social media in the show notes and come and
0: join us And if you want to support this podcast monetarily, you can do so over at patreon.com forward slash under console pod. If you back us at the £5 amount, you will get next week's episode right now, one week early and ad free. And if you back us at the £10 amount, you get a little bit extra. Ash, what does that include? That includes apparently me
4: creating hand gestures for your entire Patreon spiel and kind of doing an interpretive dance in the background. But it also includes a mug. It includes stickers. It includes badges. It includes retro Power Rangers trading cards. These are vintage 1994. So they are the original Power Rangers cast and they are fantastically dated. (laughs) You also get a £5 discount voucher, which gives you £5 off of our first T-shirt, which can be bought along with other mugs other stickers, and other
0: badges on our website under consultation.com. Shout out to those £10 backers, Robert, Jamie, Matt, Phil, Simon, Nick, Sean, Adam, Cliff, Adam, Rich, Gordon, William, and Misha. Thank you all so much. You all rule just as every single person listening to this podcast does. That is going to do it for episode six of series three of Games Master. We will be back in seven days time with episode seven that's going to feature more great graphics that you'll ever see in your life. So take care, everyone.